Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Authentic and Unapologetic Podcast. My name is Chloe Taylor, and I created this podcast to inspire you to live a life empowered and standing tall in your own authenticity. Because when you do this, you give everyone around you the courage and the strength to do the same. So get cozy and join me as I share my journey and guide you to living your best, most authentic life unapologetically. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday. If you're watching or listening to this the day that it goes live, welcome in to Authentic and Unapologetic. Today, we are going to be discussing my health journey. I feel like this probably could have been like a seven-part series, to be honest, because I have struggled to manage like basically the ups and the downs of weight gain, body positivity, um, also just feeling a lot of like shame around my own body and it's taken me a really long time to get to the place that I am now and I really wanted to talk about kind of my journey and what I feel like helped me and kind of where I am now with that and and just kind of wrap it up in a nice little package for you. And I even asked some of you over on Instagram if you had questions about my health journey or questions about your own. And uh, I would give my best to try to answer them. So I do want to point out before we even start this episode, I am just a human being. I don't claim to be the person at the helm of body positivity. I don't claim to be anything. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist. I can't tell you exactly what's going to work for your body. I can only tell you the experiences I've had, what has and has not worked for me. And I feel like this episode, this is something I really love talking about. I am a sun and moon in the sixth house in tropical astrology. And if you're unfamiliar with that, what that means, basically both of my sun and moon placements fall into the house of Virgo. And Virgo is all about health, routines, habits, service. Um, a lot of people with sixth house energy end up in medical field careers or careers that are in service to others. And usually there is an emphasis on health, like body health. So um, I feel like that's why this topic is so fascinating to me. I've always said, even as like a younger, or I would say like an older teenager, I've always said that in another life, I would have gone down the path of becoming a nutritionist or a dietitian because it's just something that I'm so interested in. So I collect information and something that I guess I want to start out with right away is I want to talk about what happened currently. I, this for all of you when you're hearing this, this happened in December. Um, 
And again, I don't claim to be anything, so please don't put me in that box. But something happened in like mainstream media that just blew my mind. Um, Lizzo, the artist who I absolutely adore, the music artist, Lizzo basically put out this four or five like scened, uh, she was doing like a detox or something. And the internet just fucking came for her. They There was two sides of this argument going on. And I'll kind of explain to you what the perception was. And then I'll explain to you my perception, which I didn't really agree 100% with either side. And I'll explain why. So on one side of the argument, we had people saying, oh my God, this is a travesty for body positivity. How could Lizzo do something like this? This is just like giving praise to diet culture. All fat women everywhere are disappointed, da, 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 which don't get me wrong. I totally see why that would be so upsetting to me. This is very similar to when you have a vegan friend and you're vegan and then your friend stops being vegan. It kind of feels like a slight disappointment. Like you're not mad at them because it's their body and their choice or you shouldn't be, but it, it's like losing one of your own. You, do you see what I'm saying? Now, I don't fully agree with this perception. So hear me out before you run screaming. Uh, now, the other side of the argument was people saying, how dare you shame Lizzo for trying to do something good for her body and lose weight? And here's the problem with these arguments. <laughs> the problem with these arguments is nobody is acknowledging that Lizzo is a human being. She gets to do whatever the fuck she wants with her body. She never came out and said, I am a like fuck diet culture. I am a body positivity person. People put her in that box just because she is large and or I don't even know if large is like the correct terminology to use there. She said something herself. I want to say like she said like bigger girl, but she just because she is a bigger girl and expresses that she loves herself and has confidence, people assume and put her in that box of, oh, you're for the body positivity movement. And the sad part about it is she was just trying to do good by her for herself being a human being on what she thought was best for her body. And both sides of this argument are trying to say that she was supposed to do something for all of them. And it's just, it's kind of just bullshit <laughs> if you want to get technical. <clears throat> Even with that example I gave of like when you have a friend that is doing something that you're doing. And I gave veganism as an example because I myself follow a plant-based vegan diet. Um, and that is for the ethics, not necessarily. And let me also phrase this because I've received that we're going down eight side stories here. Um, I've received some criticism on this when I've said this in the past. So just allow me to explain when I say that I'm vegan for the ethics, it doesn't mean that I'm saying you're unethical if you're not vegan. I'm telling people that I'm vegan for the ethics because there are different kinds of vegan. There are people that are vegan for the animals. There are people that are solely vegan for their own personal health, and it's not really about the animals for them. There are people that are vegan for the environment. And so when I say that I am vegan for the ethics, to me, that kind of encompasses all of it. You know, it's not like I only went vegan for my own personal gain or just because I'm an animal worshiping animal lover or just for the environment or 
it encompasses everything. It's a type of vegan. It's not because I'm out here trying to express to you. And most of you don't think that way. I don't think, but there are definitely some people that have been triggered by me saying that. So I think it's just people that don't understand what that means. So anyways, just to clear that up, I am vegan for the ethics. I've studied kind of, and I, I, to kind of throw another thing in there, I don't care if you're vegan or not. Like that's on you. You get to make decisions for your own body. I am don't know where people get this concept that all vegans are like preachy. Not me, not in this house. Um, but um, what was I going to say about that? I lost my train of thought, so it must not be very important. But basically, I just wanted to share that like I'm the reason I gave that example of when you have friends that are plant-based or vegan and you see them decide not to do it anymore, it does kind of hurt in a, in a, in a way that like you feel like you're losing one of your own, but you're not really because they're making the best decisions that they can for themselves with their own body. And that I feel like takes a lot of self-awareness to kind of come back and recognize that. And this to me is the same with this Lizzo situation. We need to ask ourselves why we think that we need to portray some kind of an identity on top of Lizzo when she gets to do what she wants for her own fucking body. And um, she even came back later and said like a day later or something like that. I don't know how long the time frame was because I got there kind of late to the party, but um she came back to Instagram and basically said, like, look, I had a really shitty November. I didn't feel good. I was drinking too much. I was eating food that didn't make me feel good. And I thought doing a 10-day detox would make me feel better. And guess what it did? And that's it. There was nothing else attached to this that people have put on me. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, you have to basically, when you feel triggered by what somebody else is doing with their body, and this goes for anyone. If you have family members that are keto, if you have family members that are plant based, if you have family members that are, and I'm, I think I'm pinpointing family, but it's also community and friends, people that are doing something that you wouldn't do for yourself, or I don't even want to say for yourself, because I feel like that kind of puts a negative connotation too. But if you, they're doing something that you wouldn't do, it doesn't mean they're against you. It feels like a personal attack when we let our ego project outwards. Like, I don't even know how to explain that. You just have to have the self-awareness that it's not about you. And like I said, even with the vegan thing, that's something that I've had to learn in my lifetime as well with having friends that were plant-based and it was easier to like eat around them and easier to, you know, just because we're into the same thing, it makes it simpler but just because I have friends, multiple friends that have chosen not to continue to be vegan or plant-based, that doesn't make them lesser people. It doesn't make them bad people. They're just making decisions for their health, their own body, and their own way of being. And that's it. It doesn't go beyond that. <laughs> so that's just my take on that. I know that there are people out there that don't agree with that. They would try to convince their friends or whoever to come back to doing what they're doing, but Ultimately, we can't control people regardless, so it's better just to support them, in my humble opinion. Um, so I wanted to start with that because I thought that was a really fascinating story that came out in December, and I was just like, what is wrong with people? Like, why does anybody think that they can tell Lizzo who she is? Like, this is Lizzo, the best thing that held us all together in 2020, okay? <laughs> so... Now I kind of want to talk a little bit about my own health journey, and I want to start by talking about how I gained weight, and we are going to talk a lot about weight in this podcast, so if that is something that is triggering to you, I would highly recommend skipping this episode, and 
you know, returning next week. But <sighs> it's weird to come out and be authentic like this because I feel like there is, there have been points in my own career, in my own professional life where I've kind of said like no to talking about weight and I've tried to change things and we'll get into this in the podcast as well. But the first thing I want to say before we start talking about any of the weight stuff is that something you have to realize is that I'm handicapped. I have hip and knee dysplasia. I've talked about this. I've had it from birth. I was born that way. Um, and my frame and my joints can't handle a lot of excess weight. It's actually very painful for me. So, and it's also harder for me to get exercise. I thankfully recently have invested in a recumbent bike. It's one of the best purchases I've ever made of my adult life. Um, truly, truly, truly. But it's my whole life. I've never really even had a major workout routine or exercise routine or been able to do those things because I didn't know what would even work. I was never really taught. And I just wanted to put that out there so that you're aware that I don't necessarily want to make everything about weight. I understand how toxic diet culture is. I understand that it's very like nobody, nobody is here just to lose weight, pay bills and die, right? Um, nobody is here for that. And yet so much of our own culture, especially in America has made it about that. If you're not thin, what are you basically? And even the plus size models tend to have like their curves have to be a certain way. And it's, it's upsetting that this is constantly portrayed to us. And if you're not aware, the diet industry is a billion, billion dollar corporation that they literally make money because you don't believe in yourself, because you don't think you look good enough as you are right now, because you don't like diet companies don't want you to lose weight. They don't want to make you thin like a supermodel because if you do, they lose your business. It's not good business. So just keep that in mind. Um, the only reason I'm talking about weight is number one, I feel like it's a measure that most people know about. So it's easier to talk about things in terms of pounds. Number two, when it comes to weight, I've been told by my own physician that having extra weight on my body is more painful for my joints, especially my knees. Um, and I have seen that when I have had less weight on my body and when I've had more weight on my body, I've felt and seen the different, well, it's more of a feeling, not a seeing, but I've, I've felt the difference. So I really do believe that that is true for me. And that's why we're talking about it. It's not because I feel like I need to fit into a certain size. Now I would be lying if I said that vanity didn't play a role because we've all been conditioned to be that way, but there's a big part of it that's more about health. So let's go ahead and talk about how I put on weight, where I'm at now, etc. So um, growing up, I don't think I was ever like a skinny legend kid. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I was I grew up as an overweight kid either. Like I would say it was pretty average. Um, however, when I went into my high school years, I wasn't, I would say like crazy overweight. I wasn't necessarily super skinny. Um, I probably carried maybe like 15 to 20 pounds of extra weight in, in the early years of high school. And then I went through my first breakup when I was a sophomore, 
in high school? Was I a sophomore or a freshman? I think I was a sophomore. I was a sophomore in high school. I went through my first breakup. Now, mind you, I am a Cancer Venus, okay? When we love somebody, we date to marry, like, at that age. And I was very religious at the time, and the religion I was a part of taught that as well, that you're always dating to marry. And so even though I was super young, um, I mean, even my secondary boyfriend after that is the one that I did marry at, like I met him when I was 17, married him at 22. So I definitely live my life, lived my life by that guide of like, I was dating to marry. So this was a major, like, I was always that really young romantic, loved chick flicks, always thought that I was going to fall in love and ride away on a white horse with my significant other into our castle. Like I was definitely that hopeless romantic type growing up and I was obsessed. I was obsessed with the idea of love, obsessed with the idea of romance. Um, even like little stories I would write because I loved writing. They were always romance stories. I loved reading romance. Um, I was a big Twilight fan. So when me and this guy broke up, I broke up with him because he was into drugs and I was not into that. Um, it just killed me. Like I remember I, I was so sad that I didn't eat. And it wasn't intentional at first. It was not intentional. I will swear by that. It was not intentional. And I was just, I would, I would just go to school. I would come home and go to bed. And I would even, this is why I said like this, this episode is definitely very trigger warning heavy. Like even when it comes to eating disorder, if that's something that makes you uncomfortable or um, even potentially mention of suicide, like, please join me on a future episode. This one's going to go pretty deep because there was a lot, but I remember my dad, I don't even know if I've ever told my parents this, but I mean, it, I would now, um, my dad had muscle relaxers, like the really strong ones. And I've never been, I mean, hello, I broke up with my boyfriend because he was into drugs. And I remember I was so sad that I would take my dad's muscle relaxers and I would just sleep because that's what they do. They just conk you out. So I would go to school, come home, take a muscle relaxer, go to sleep for like most of the evening, wake up for a couple of hours, go back to sleep, get up, go to school, do it again. And my parents, I have said this before, I grew up in a relatively abusive household. I'm not necessarily super open about it, but I'm more open than I've probably ever been. Um, I grew up in a relatively abusive household. My parents were also just like really hands off. Like I'm the youngest of seven kids. And I think at that point you just kind of start raising yourself. <laughs> so my parents, I don't remember them ever intervening. I don't remember either of them ever asking if I was okay. I don't remember any teachers calling me in and seeing if I was okay. Like no adult ever stepped in and was like, Hey, how are you? I had friends that stepped in instead, which thank the Lord for my friends. I would die for my friends. Um, most of them I still have to this day, but <clears throat> I remember that was kind of the cycle and I lost so much weight. Like, I don't know exactly how much because I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't, I was just in this like sad cloud. I don't, I literally don't remember doing anything else. I don't remember ever doing homework. I don't remember watching a lot of TV. I remember just crying and sleeping and going to school and crying and sleeping and going to school. And I think this went on for quite some time. And I, the only reason I even realized was that people started to compliment me 
which is so gross when you think about it. You never know what somebody is actually going through. I remember going to church and there were other adults that were like, wow, you look really good. What have you been doing? And mind you, I was like 16 years old, 15 or 16. I think I was 15. And I was like, I don't know, I'm not really doing anything. And then it was when my pants started to just fall off me. And I had to, I didn't have a belt, but I remember during that time, the style was like wrap shirts, like shirts had little ties on them. And I would take ties off of my shirts and loop them through my pants to hold them up because they wouldn't even stay up on me. So I wasn't ever necessarily like skin and bones, but I definitely feel like I was on that tipping point of being underweight. And that's no shame on any of y'all that are underweight that are trying to gain weight. I'm just sharing my experience. And for me, I was tipping that point of being underweight. And it wasn't until I went to Vince's Spaghetti with my family, which is like this spaghetti restaurant that my family's gone to for years. I had like two bites of my dinner and then put it away. Like I was so... Eating food, I think because I hadn't really been eating, eating food was like, it was just something I didn't even register. Like, I, I think also because I was constantly taking muscle relaxers, I wasn't all there. Like, my brain was very foggy. If you've ever taken a muscle relaxer, you know that it messes with your head. You're not dealing with a full deck. I was living in a fog. And so I remember having like two bites of this dinner and my friend had come to dinner with us and I had two bites of my dinner, put it in a to-go container because I just, I just had no appetite. And that could have also been the muscle relaxers, to be honest. I don't think my parents noticed that muscle relaxers were even missing until it was like way too late. And I never got addicted to them, thank goodness. But I had so many other siblings in my household that would steal pills like that from my parents that like nobody ever suspected that it was me. <laughs> um, like I said, I don't think I've ever told my parents about that, but it's not like I wouldn't. It just never, nobody ever suspected it was me. And then I don't know. I think my dad eventually like hid the pills and then I didn't have access to them anymore, but that's not the point. The point of the story is I remember when I came home from that dinner, my friend sat with me and she was like, Chloe, I'm really worried about you. You have to eat. Like I, I need to see you eat. And I believe that in my own trauma experience, I developed a fawn experience. And if you don't know what that is or a fawn response, the fawn response is honestly, I almost want to look up an official definition because I don't want to instruct you wrong. Um, fawn trauma response. Um, so in a nutshell, this is from just Google in a nutshell, fawning is the use of people pleasing to diffuse conflict, feel more secure in relationships and earn the approval of others. It's a maladaptive way of creating safety in our connections with others by essentially mirroring the imagined expectations and desires of other people. So a lot of highly sensitive people and empaths will do this. Um, they'll become, they will be somebody that has the fawn trauma reaction. And mostly it's because it, it's a coping mechanism. Now for empaths, it's a little bit different, but especially for highly sensitive people, um, it becomes a response that keeps you safe. So 
I didn't realize this until I was in therapy myself, but what I was doing in this moment was a fawn response. I didn't want there to be conflict between me and my friend. I felt like she was going to be mad at me. So she like poured the spaghetti out for me and was like, I'm going to sit here until you eat this. And even though I, d I think by her means she was doing the right thing. She was trying to help me. I don't put this on her as like a bad thing. I think she was really doing the best that she could. But what happened in this moment was it created a trauma around food and me because I got this notion to my brain fogged 15 year old brain that in order to be accepted by my peers, I basically had to overstuff myself. And I had to eat and that's what happened. I gorged myself on the spaghetti, even though I really wasn't hungry. I had no appetite, but I, w I did need to eat like facts. Okay. I did need to eat. Um, and I did, I ate all the spaghetti that was there. And from that point on, I don't remember not eating. Like from that point on, I remember eating to excess. Like I would I didn't really understand portions either. Like my parents, again, being extremely hands-off, I feel like I say hands-off, but I really need to say neglect. Um, being as neglectful as they were, nobody taught me these things. Like there was no, oh yeah, a potato, like one russet potato is like a great serving size if it's like fairly large, you know, or two of the smaller ones is a great serving size. Nobody taught me these things. So, and mind you, we had internet growing up in my house, but it was like dial up until I went to college. So it wasn't like I had access the way that we have access now to just learn things. So I remember like I would make potatoes, but I would cut up like 10 Costco sized russet potatoes and then pan fry them in a crap load of oil. And I would just gorge and like, cause that was what I thought I was supposed to be doing to be accepted. That's what happened. And from there, it just created this neuro pathway in my brain that I'm still learning to navigate where I feel like I, I crave this dopamine hit of acceptance which is what originally got associated with food for me. And to get that dopamine hit whenever I don't feel right or I feel upset, it's it's been a process in my adult life of learning to sit with those uncomfortable emotions and also how to establish better boundaries with people and not just try to please everybody. So I hope that made sense. But I feel like if there's any of you that are struggling with food addiction, with binge eating, um, I was kind of on both ends of the spectrum. I wouldn't say that I was anorexic by any means because it wasn't intentional. Um, I want to say that it did become intentional for a little bit. There was like a brief period right around that experience I just talked about where I tried to not eat because I noticed I was gaining weight, but it didn't last because my body was like, bitch, you're starving and you don't have pills to zone out anymore. So, um, basically what happened is I just, I developed this pattern with food and I gained, oh my gosh, I think I went from somewhere in like the low one twenties to, and I'm five, seven, my frame, I'm a five, seven, almost five, eight. I'm actually five, seven and a half. And one of my legs is longer than the other one. So I feel like if I corrected that, I would probably be five, eight. Um, the half is kind of weird and tilted. So, and I think other people in my family are five, eight, like that's common. Anyways, um, I'm like five, seven and a half ish, five, eight. And with that, 
Um, I, I want to say for my body frame, I don't really feel like I should ever weigh less than like 130 pounds. That to me is my ideal, maybe even 140, but I want to say I was dipping into like the high, possibly like 118, 120, somewhere in there. And I was on that tipping point. But from that point I gained, well, by the time I went to college three years later, I had gained, gosh, I went from being like 120. I gained like 60 pounds. I gained 60 pounds, I want to say in the course of like one summer. And then when I moved away for college, I ended up gaining even more weight. And I got up to 210 pounds at my highest weight ever. And this has just been like a roller coaster with my body because then there was a time period where I was having gallbladder attacks and we didn't know what was wrong. I literally thought I was going to die because they couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with me. And I remember going like, I would put myself on the craziest diets because I really thought it was fat. Like there are other women in my family that have had their gallbladders removed. And so I was like, no, it's gotta be this, even though they're not telling me it's this. So I would go like no fat, low fat. Um, I would go on like these crazy, like all green juice diets. I would do like broth only. I would do like, I just did like the craziest shit. And over the course of basically from age 15, till about age like 28, maybe 27. Um, so more than 10 years, I did everything under the sun. I did the HCG diet. I did Weight Watchers. I did Atkins. I did no carb, low carb, high carb, um, South Beach diet. Um, I did the three-day diet. That diet is terrible. That was probably the one I, that really caused a lot of my problems. Um, the three-day diet is basically where you do like three days of eating somewhere around something stupid, like 500 calories a day. And then the other four days of the week, you eat whatever you want, but like within moderation. And the problem is, is that you put your body into a starving state in those first three days. So the next four, you're just gorging because your body is preparing for a famine again. So it does not work. It really fucks up your metabolism. Don't ever eat like that. Um, it's awful, just awful. Um, but so many crazy diets. I would do calorie counting, but I would do 1200 calories, which 1200 calories, what I have come to learn and understand through just like studying more health, wellness and how our body processes things is that 1200 calories is actually terrible. You should not do, sorry, I just punched you. You should not do just 1200 calories. That's like the bare minimum that your body needs to survive. And when you put your body in that state, you also have the potential of putting your body in a starving state. And again, it's just going to fuck your metabolism over. Like the more you abuse that metabolism, the slower it gets and the harder every single time you try to diet and restrict again, the harder your body clings on to weight and your metabolism just gets slower and slower and slower. So it's actually really terrible for you. Like I think currently I am doing, or I don't think, I know. Actually, I'm not ready to talk about the current stuff. So anyways, let's kind of fast forward quite a ways in my timeline. That was like over a decade of just like dieting and diet culture and trying to lose weight for vanity reasons only. And then um, in 2017, when my sister passed away, I also had emergency surgery on my gallbladder. 
Um, I was hospitalized for a week with pancreatitis. I wasn't allowed to eat anything. I wasn't allowed to drink anything. I was literally just on an IV drip. And when that happened, I lost like a crazy amount of weight that time too. I was really sick. So of course I lost a bunch of weight. I think I went from being like 210 pounds to 180 over the course of like two weeks. And it was because I wasn't eating. I was so sick. Uh, it was awful. And I was grieving because my sister had died. Like it was just, it was a terrible time. It was awful. I would never wish any of the pain that I experienced during that time in my life on my worst enemy. It was awful. And lost like 30 pounds, got down to like one seven. I think it was even more than 30 pounds. It was like 32 pounds. I think I was at like 178, which was the lowest my weight had been since high school. And then I went vegan almost immediately after. And again, I went vegan for the ethics, not necessarily for weight loss or anything like that. But I didn't know about vegan junk food. And so I was only eating like really a uh, whole food diet. I wasn't really snacking and I felt great. Honestly, this was probably the point in my life where I felt the best and I was just eating like really high quality food, all like vegetables. I was cooking a lot of stuff from the Thug Kitchen cookbook. If you're unfamiliar with this cookbook, please, for the love of God, get yourself a digital copy. If you even just want to incorporate some plant-based stuff into your normal routine, their cookbook to me is the best. Not only is it hilarious because they curse a lot. They'll be like, yeah, blend that fucker up. Like just in their cookbook, just like it's nonchalant. Um, but then they, all their food is like high quality vegan. So it's all like, not raw, like it's all like cooked stuff, but it's all like very minimal process. They very rarely use tofu in their recipes. It's a lot of beans, a lot of tempeh, a lot of fresh vegetables, a lot of, um, just like whole foods plant-based. And I ate like that for several months. And again, I feel like this was honestly like what I'm always striving to get back to because I felt amazing. I felt really good. I was naturally like losing weight at a very slow rate. Um, I was keeping also all that weight off that I'd lost when I was sick, which we need to stop and talk about that for a second. Can we talk about how fucked up it is that I would even have that mentality? Like, this is where my brain was back in the day. Um, back in the day, I was like, oh, I was sick and on an IV, but I can't gain any of that weight back. Excuse me? I was sick. Like, of just a really messed up way of thinking about things. Like, you are apt to gain weight back after something like that. And I was so dead set that I wasn't going to gain any of that weight back. And I didn't for a while. But eventually as bodies do. Um, I learned about vegan junk food, started putting more of that shit into my diet, which I don't think junk food is inherently bad. I think that it's all about balance and moderation and you're allowed to have those things, but you have to be able to trust yourself with them, especially if you're somebody that is addicted to food like I was, or if you struggle with binge eating disorder like I did. Um, if you struggle with those two things, it's really important that you give yourself the ability to trust yourself around food because that was my problem is there was so much judgment and sometimes this still happens. There was so much judgment and so much distrust of myself around like a bag of chips that eventually I would just give in and then I would eat the whole bag of chips because that's on binge eating. But 
I basically learned about vegan junk food and all of my old habits came into play. All of that dopamine hit of eating really crappy food and eating it to excess and not eating it in a controlled environment at all, but just mindlessly eating. And I've kind of gone back and forth with that for the last, gosh, I'm, that happened in like 2018. So for the last two years, I've kind of gone back and forth with this, where I go through stints of time where I eat really clean, whole food, plant-based, and I have like minimal snackage. And then I go through periods of time where I just say, fuck it, fuck all of this. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to do what I want. I'm tired of trying to control this. And here's the problem. (laughs) The problem is, is the control. (laughs) Um, That's kind of something that I'm discovering now as I've been reestablishing my beliefs with food, reestablishing my relationship with food. I've really come to understand so many things. Number one, it's the control. It's that I can't have that or that is so bad for me or the guilt that we assign to food. It's when you actually pull back and say, actually, all food is objective. I'm the one that gives it meaning. Yes, there are foods that are more nutritionally dense that are going to do more for my body. However, if my body wants the cupcake, if my body wants the donut, that's okay. That is 100% okay. It's more about bringing yourself into the present when you are with food and asking yourself like, what does my body actually want right now? What would fuel my body? What would make me feel good in my own skin right now? And sometimes that's the motherfucking donut. And sometimes it's the motherfucking cupcake. And sometimes it's a salad. And sometimes it's a head of broccoli. And sometimes, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not, that is probably the biggest thing I've learned about my own body and my relationship with food this year is Number one, especially if you're somebody that struggles with food addiction or binge eating, we don't allow ourselves to be present with food. I developed my coping mechanism when I was fawning with someone else. I saw that as me gaining approval from someone else and my brain made that connection. So every time I would eat, I was just craving that same dopamine hit of acceptance, that same dopamine hit of This is what I have to do. So I will be loved, accepted. I will be part of a tribe because our survival brain, our primal brain believes that we need tribe to survive. And the sad part is, is we do to a degree, (laughs) but we also don't in the sense that we have so much technology now that has surpassed the primal brain that we can have tribes all over the world now. We don't need somebody in our community. We don't need a hunter-gatherer. We don't need someone to stay back and craft things. We, I mean, we do because we have people that work in these fields. But what I'm saying is, is if you didn't have a tribe back then, you were left to die. And our survival part of our brain still thinks that. So for me, that's really what I've been working through the most. And I talk about this a lot on this podcast that you really have to get to the root of what is causing the problem and yank the root up and out. And that is where the change is going to come in. And you can, everybody can do this. I'm not special. It, everybody has the ability to get in connection with that part of themselves and where things started. I've heard in the past people saying, and this is just me. I am somebody that is currently in school for a psychology degree. Um, But 
I hear people all the time say things like, well, this is hereditary and I can't do A, B, C, and D, but we're actually getting to a point with science now, especially with psychology and science, where we are disproving that, where when things are hereditary, it's actually not something that is out of our control. We still have things that we can do in our brain functions to change it. And that to me is wild that we're getting to the point where science is actually catching up with, I almost want to say spirituality to a degree because it's kind of like explaining the unexplained, but um, especially Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, if you're familiar, amazing, amazing human. Um, A lot of his work is in neuroscience and how like specifically on stuff like that, on how we say things are hereditary, but also our thoughts shape our reality. And so if we have this conscious belief that we're going to get this thing anyway, because it's hereditary, our thoughts have the ability to potentially create that reality. Um, And the reason that I bring that up is I think that some people, it's also that like we believe that we're always going to be a certain way with food or our body is always going to feel a certain way. And we perpetuate that belief and then repeat the cycles that create it. Does that make sense? Um, I hope so. But basically, um, I got to this point where now it's kind of just this tug of war game and it's this, it's still a back and forth in my life. Um, let's talk about current weight. So currently I weighed myself today and I am weighing in at 198.2 pounds. (laughs) Not very happy about it. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I feel like there were points even earlier in this year where I was down 15, 20 more pounds from that. Um, even last year, the same, but also we're in the middle of a mother effing pandemic. (laughs) And I feel like we all need to give ourselves a little bit more grace in that sense that we're dealing with things that we've never dealt with mentally. And for some of us, food is the joy. Okay. It's something I'm working on, but food, for some reason, even when I'm feeling a certain way, this is actually something else I wanted to address in here. Um, I've also discussed a lot how all of my adult life, I've basically lived in poverty. And I think there is something to be discussed about poverty and how we eat, because a lot of times, at least in my case, I can only speak from my own experience here. In my case, food was the dopamine hit. And so when I was in poverty, a lot of the foods that I would buy, even though I would argue that eating a plant-based diet is actually a lot cheaper than eating a non-plant-based diet. And I could even prove that with receipts, like cheese and meat are expensive, uh, beans, legumes, vegetables, things like that. Not actually very expensive. It's the, it's the packaged stuff that is really expensive and, The thing is, when you are basically dealing with all of these mental, the mental work, right? When you're dealing with all of the mental work, sometimes you just don't want to sift through it. Sometimes you just don't want to feel things. Sometimes it is overwhelming. And I feel like that's true even when you go down like a path of healing and starting therapy and, you know, uncovering those things. Sometimes it is just overwhelming and it's easy to fall back into those old patterns, those old habits. And for me, something that I really uncovered over the last like three years in therapy was that 
in terms of vanity metrics for weight loss, I grew up with a mother that I've never heard her say nice things about her body. And I think this is very common. This isn't me shading my own mom. I think a lot of women in particular experience this, that most women don't talk about their bodies positively, especially in private. And I also grew up in a household where I was kind of always told that one of my sisters, literally these were the words, one of my sisters was beautiful, but I was just cute. And on top of that, this sibling in particular was always really praised for beauty and like thinness. And um, it's, it's honestly very sad because there's a whole other story to unpack there about when you praise a child for beauty, what that does to that child and what kind of responses that child now has. And because of that, I was always so hard on myself about gaining weight and even showing pictures on Instagram of my body because I know that some of these family members follow my accounts. I was always so embarrassed if I'd lost weight or gained weight, always trying to gain the approval of my mother and my sibling. And I have multiple siblings, but if this one hears this podcast, they gonna know I'm talking about them and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm very comfortable where I am right now, but <clears throat> I feel like I was always so embarrassed of my own body because of all of that shame and that stigma of shame. And even my late sister that passed away expressed a very similar um, issue. Like both of us would sit and talk about how we didn't even want to go somewhere in a swimsuit with this sibling because they were always praised for their beauty and we didn't feel like we could measure up. And I feel like that's a huge thing that I've had to unpack myself over the last few years is why do I crave this acceptance from, I mean, I think it's natural and it's so normal to want that familial acceptance, but that is honestly something in my life that has probably held me back for besides the fawn response. That is probably one of the biggest things that has held me back in trying to lose weight and trying to change my body to do better for my body is it was always this feeling of I was never able to measure up and there was a lot of shame. And that's the truth. That's the tea, okay? <laughs> so with everything stacked on top like that, this goes into even being a public figure. I consider myself to be a public figure. So putting myself out there so authentically is terrifying sometimes, but not because I'm afraid of the responses of thousands of strangers. I'm afraid of the responses of the people that are closest to me. And I think that this is really valid for a lot of my creator people out there that you want to be your most badass bitch authentic self, but you're afraid of what family or friends will think. And the thing that I'm starting to learn as I'm managing my own personal health, as I'm managing both mentally and physically and spiritually, I would say health-wise, what I'm starting to realize and unpack is that I can't control other people's perception of me anyway, even if I try, it doesn't matter. And even if I think that losing the weight or looking a certain way is going to gain me that validation, would I want it anyway? Do you want to even spend time around people that your value is based on a number on the scale? How devastating. What a, like, how sad is that? When you think about it for what it really is with the full amount of self-awareness, it's devastating. 
that we've even, that I have even lived in a community, a tribe, a family system that works like that. And it's almost kind of gross when you really think about it. So I feel like that's something and that might strike a chord with some of you in a good way. Like maybe that's something that's gone on in your family. It's kind of scary for me to share such an important detail in my life, but it's the truth. And it, this isn't something I wouldn't say to these people's faces. So I'm not necessarily being a shady hoe. It's just, it's something that I feel like many of us harbor so much shame around our body's appearance. And we either don't know where the shame has come from or we're still currently being shamed by people around us. And the thing is, when you flip that reality on its head, see where it's really coming from, I feel like you're going to be unstoppable. So where I am right now, and then we're going to get into your questions. This is probably going to be a relatively long episode, but where I am right now in my own, my own health journey, weight loss journey, et cetera, because I do still have the goal. I would like to be about 140 pounds. That's probably one of my bigger goals. I do feel some sense of shame in that. There's a part of me that's like, Chloe, why are you making it about weight? But honestly, I'm one person. Like I said, I don't claim to be the beacon of body positivity and I don't want to wear that crown. I don't want to be in that box. I want to do what I feel like is best for me in my body. And if two weeks from now that idea changes because I learned something else, then that's okay. But right now, that's really what I strive for. I would like to be about 140 pounds. I'm currently weighing in at 198.2. Um, and something that I've been working on is number one, I'm actually working out more. So I have an exercise bike. I've talked about this. I, it was the best purchase I've made this year. It was a little bit on the pricey side, but you know what? Health is wealth. And it was, it's truly been like a gift, a gift to me. <laughs> so I work out between five and six days a week for an hour each time. And I know that for some of you, that might sound like a lot, and I want to encourage you, if that's something that you're thinking about working out more, don't start that big. Start with something so much smaller. Build on the habit to make it lasting. For me, I started out by doing 30 minutes just like every other day. And then within a week, I already felt like I had gained so much stamina from working just doing like the really easy rides that I upped those easy rides to an hour. And then when I felt like those got easy, I upped the rides to harder settings on my machine and still continued with the hour. So it's just been building. I still feel like I built a little bit fast. Like even that I feel like as an example is really quick, but I'm just a determined bitch and I'm going through my first house transit right now. And if y'all don't know about first houses, that is the house of Aries. And it's all about like physical fitness, your appearance, you have more stamina and Aries is ruled by Mars. And we just had Mars go direct in the sign of Aries. So I got like a supercharged triple mother effing boost to go the distance. Um, so I've currently been doing that. I say five to six days a week because I strive for six days, but sometimes I need that extra rest day and I let myself have it. Um, the other thing I've been doing is I don't know if I'm going to stick with this. I want to, but I also feel like sometimes you just need to let yourself live. Um, 
I have been doing between 15 and 1700 calories a day. Um, I used to do 1200 and I was always hungry. So I would encourage anybody that's been working on that. I feel like personally, that's too low calorically for any person, um, especially because I work out so consistently, I up my calories to something higher. But the other thing that I also do is I try to make my breakfast and lunch like either one of them or both of them are healthier meals are more nutritionally dense. So in the morning I would have maybe a green smoothie or a bowl of oatmeal or something that is going to give me more nutrient nutritional value. And then for lunch, I'll have a salad or something. Even if I top it with like today for brunch, I didn't even have breakfast. I woke up too late. So I had brunch. Um, I topped my, so I made a salad <laughs> with baby greens and I put a Beyond Meat sausage, which that like Beyond is the vegan meat company. Um, I put a Beyond Hot Italian sausage cut up on top after I cooked it and I put some air fried French fries. I literally cut up one russet potato, put some cooking spray on it with a little bit of pepper and salt, put it in my air fryer for 10 minutes on 400 and I put fries on top of my salad. So I was getting a carb with not a lot of oil. I was getting a protein, which I don't necessarily recommend the processed proteins all the time, but I do feel like if you're going to eat one beyond Meat is not the worst you can do. Um, I also put some hemp hearts, which is a good source of omega three, a good source of uh, protein as well, especially plant-based protein. Uh, and then my dressing, I did a tablespoon of dressing with a tablespoon of water. And I do that because it spreads the dressing farther on the salad, but you're not eating as much dressing. So I just find things that I really love and then I eat them. So I love French fries, right? Who the fuck doesn't love French fries? So I still ate French fries. I put them on a salad. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it was delicious. Um, and I basically had like, I had my carb, I had quite a bit of protein and I had my greens and it was a really well balanced, delicious lunch. I was very satisfied. I think it ran me, I'll tell you, um, cause I've been tracking calories. It ran me 384 calories. So almost 400. So I tried to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 400 calories ish a piece. And then with my extra 300, two to 300 calories in the evening, I really like to have a bedtime snack. That's just me. I know that so many health professionals will tell you not to eat at night, but I feel like I got to have it. <laughs> so the two things that I really like is I used to be a big chip eater. Chips were my all time favorite. Still are, still love a chip, still will eat chips sometimes, but I will try to eat. Um, I really like the Kirkland seaweed packs. They have this great crunch. They're salty. They're oily. To me, they taste 10 times better than a potato chip. If you don't like seaweed, then like that's not going to be for you. But I fucking love seaweed. I love roasted seaweed and I get them from Costco because it's like 10 or 12 packs for I think $10. Normally those are two to $3 a pack. And so at Costco, they're I think a dollar a piece. Uh, so way cheaper. And they give me that, that same feeling of, oh, this is chips. Even though to me, uh, this is such a good side note, like exercise. If you have a food that you feel like you're really addicted to something that I learned in therapy that was so brilliant and it really helped me was sit down with your favorite food like your favorite, like junky food, like your favorite chip, your favorite, something on that, or your like favorite Oreo, something like that. Sit down with it 
and be very present. No TV, no phone, no music, no nothing. And actually eat whatever it is, but pay attention. What is the texture like? What does it taste like? Are you enjoying it? And I swear to you, anytime I've tried this, my favorite used to be potato chips. I loved a plain potato chip, was obsessed. And I sat down and did this with potato chips. And I actually came to find out potato chips taste like motherfucking cardboard. <laughs> they are nasty. And I was like, wow, why did I like this is I would just mindlessly eat these in front of the TV and consume like a thousand calories. Um so do things like that to kind of show you that you don't even actually enjoy this stuff. I mean, some some things you might find that you do, and that's wonderful. Moderation is the key, right? Still let yourself have it, but don't eat the whole package of Oreos. Have four to six cookies, you know? Don't go so hard. That's kind of the thing that I've been doing, and that really helps me. And then, so with snacks, I wasn't done. The seaweed has been really fantastic. Love that. Get it at Costco. The second thing is, um, I really do love a sweet. I tend to be like a sweet breads person, and I haven't found something that replaces like cake yet. But something that I do find that I really enjoy if I want something sweet at night is I really like the smart sweets. Most of them are plant-based or vegan. And um, they are like, I want to say like 100 calories for a pack of them. You can also get them at Costco. And they also are made with stevia and like a little bit of sugar. So they're not so high sugar either. And they're actually good. Like, I think they make like a Swedish fish. They make one that's like Sour Patch Kids. They make one that's like Starburst. They make peach rings. They make, um, I want to say there's a few that are not vegan. Like I think the gummy bears aren't vegan, uh, but most of them are. So just check into that. I would say make sure like the ones that are vegan have the V symbol. If you're somebody who is vegan. Um, but those two things have really helped me to kind of satisfy that evening craving. And that's what I've been doing. So 15 to 1700 calories a day, uh, working out. I also wear a Fitbit, which I will link the one that I have down below. If you want to purchase one for yourself, highly recommend. If you're somebody that gets really obsessed with numbers, that you'll like drill yourself into the ground if you mess up, which I've been there, been there, done that, got the t-shirt and the trauma. Uh, I would not necessarily recommend a Fitbit right away. I feel like I have to take breaks with mine sometimes because it can become obsessive. Um, and that's not what we want. We want to live our lives. <laughs> so um, I use the Fitbit app to track my calories. Sometimes I'll use the pay PayPal. No, my fitness pal to track calories. Also, hold on. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. Mm. Um, sometimes I will track my calories in my fitness pal, but usually I use the Fitbit app to do everything, uh, because I just already track my workouts in Fitbit that it just shows me what kind of calories I have. And I make adjustments. I try to eat basically at a 500 to a 750 calorie deficit every day. So on days that I work out, um, obviously I gain a lot more calories back because I think every workout is like 465 calories burned or some shit like that. So I gain a lot of calories on those days. And so I'll make the appropriate adjustments, but that's kind of what I've been up to. Um, so I hope that that's helpful. I, I feel like if there's like any tips I could give you on staying dedicated, I'm not perfect. There are times where I fall off, but the number one thing I can say is when you get knocked down a hundred times, get up 101 times because 
you're never going to be able to do this for somebody else. You're going to have to do it for you. The time is going to pass anyway. The time is going to pass anyway. So either you're going to get to work and change things for yourself and make new habits or you're not. And I do have an episode coming out soon on habits. So if you're curious about that, stick around the podcast. I believe it'll be like the next episode. We're doing one on habits, but Now for the last, I don't want to go over another 30 minutes, but for this last little bit, I want to answer some of your questions. I didn't get too many, so I feel pretty confident in being able to answer them, but we're going to go ahead and start. We have, how do you tell someone there's an unhealthy and healthy way of losing weight? So, um, this question, I feel like you can't, (laughs) and that's the truth. Um, you know, I feel like I could sit here and tell you all day that, I don't really agree with keto because I feel like there's no way you're going to put cheese on top of your bacon, roll it up, and that's good for you. However, however, I have a family member that's keto and she's doing great. And I, the only thing we can do is let people live their lives and support them. Now, if someone is actually doing something like maybe they're not eating, that's maybe something you would want to intervene with because that has the potential to be extremely dangerous. Now, obviously everyone's way of eating has the potential to be dangerous if we consume something in too much excess. However, I feel like unless we are on the verge of life threatening, we need to just accept people for who they are. That's the truth. And we can't control what other people are going to do. We can't control how they choose to eat for their own bodies. And even if we don't agree with it, It's not something that we're allowed to tell them what to do. That person has to come to that conclusion on their own. And I could even relate this to myself in terms of being plant-based and vegan, right? I've studied the ethics. I know that what we do as a society is damaging to the planet, to our own bodies and to the animals. There is so much that goes into it that so many people are unaware of. But I'm not out here telling people you need to go vegan tomorrow. You're destroying the planet. It's not for me to tell them. The only thing I can do is be my best and brightest self, lead by example, and maybe those people will change. Maybe society will figure it out. But that's not for me to decide. Instead, I would rather empower and support people. So unfortunately, I'm sure that's probably not the answer that you want to hear. But that's just from my own personal experience, even when I have other people that do things differently. I mean, even when I first went vegan, my mother was the first person that I told, big mistake, and she basically just blew up on me for like a half hour, just yelled at me about how stupid that decision was and how I was wasting my potential and like all this crazy shit. So you know, unfortunately, we can't tell people that it's not for us to decide. It's for them to decide it's their body. Uh, Now, the next question we have is if you ever become stable with healthy eating pattern, how did you I still struggle with it a lot. So I feel like for myself, there's definitely still struggle. It's not perfect. And The biggest thing I could say is you, you have to come to the place where you stop judging yourself. We already talked about this a little bit, but it's the judgment. I feel like that is the number. It's the shame and the judgment that keeps us stuck. It's self judgment. It's judgment from other people. It's, it's this internalized shame monster (laughs) that we have 
really taken upon ourselves to let us control how we behave. And so I feel like when it comes to doing things for yourself in that way, having the healthy eating patterns and we need to just destigmatize healthy in general, I think, because even back in the day, I'll give you an example. Um, back in the day, like when I was fresh into college and I was putting on more weight, um, I did go through a period of time where remember I told you I did like all these diets too. I was doing 1100 calories a day, not 1200, 11 starvation alert. Hello. Um, we didn't know that at the time. Okay. Uh, but I remember posting to my Instagram, this plate of snacks. I had portioned out like the perfect serving size of goldfish. I had a string cheese. I was not vegan at the time. I had a string cheese. And then like, I think it was like a half of an avocado or something on a plate. And I had Instagram was like a new thing. And I had put like hashtag, um, making healthy choices. And for me, this was healthy for me. Portion controlling was something I had never done before. And I had family members show up on my Instagram and tell me goldfish really aren't healthy or string cheese really isn't healthy. And that led me to not want to share more of my journey because I was like, oh, I guess I'm doing it wrong. And to me, this was huge. I had never portioned food before. I'd never learned that growing up. And it was like a new concept to me at my 19 year old self. And it was honestly just kind of sad. Like I know that this person, they had a different way of looking at health than I did, but everybody has to do what they're going to do for themselves. And we have to just cancel the noise. Um, and this kind of even ties into what the first person questioned. Like for some people, what they think is healthy for their body is going to look different than what we think is healthy for our body. And ultimately, I think it's the shame that stops us from keeping things good. It's the, it's quote unquote good. It's the shame of, am I going to do it this time? Am I going to fulfill it this time? Am I going to fuck it up this time? And instead, we need to just learn to give ourselves the grace of, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be giving it 110% at every single moment. Sometimes you're going to fall off the wagon. You're going to fall down and that's okay. When one of your tires pops, do you slash the other four? No, you fix the one tire and then you keep going, right? So I feel like this is really how we need to treat our, our, our healthy eating patterns. When we are doing something good that we think is good for our body, which is the most important, our opinion of ourselves is the most important. When we're doing something good for our body, we need to realize that it's okay if we fall down. It's okay if one day you eat over your caloric limit. If one day you have a binge because you're still working on, you know, what, what you can with that. You're still doing the mental math. It's okay if you have days like that. It's never going to be 110%. If you expect 110% from yourself every day, you're being really hard on yourself. And I would encourage you to let yourself have, have the breakdown, have the times where it's not perfect. And as I said, when you slash one tire, you fix that tire. So you sit down with yourself. This is actually something that I said in my last podcast episode that I think is really important and 
when you have a problem and this goes for anything in life, this is not just eating. This is not just like healthy habits. When you have a problem and something is not going the way you want it to in your life, I want you to, this is something I learned in therapy as well. I want you to feel it. Let yourself cry with no shame, no judgment, feel through the experience. And then when you feel ready, this could be a day, this could be three weeks, this could be six months. When you feel ready, only you are going to know. When you feel ready, I want you to get out a sheet of paper or a journal, notepad on your phone, whatever you want to use. I want you to state what you think the problem is or how you're feeling. And this could take a few pages or it could be a couple of sentences. And then I want you to write three things that you're going to do about it. So, and one of the things you have to take immediate action on, like right then and there, after you write it down, you take immediate action. So for you, maybe you fall off your, your healthy eating game. You skip a day, you have a binge, whatever it is. And I want you to let yourself feel that shame. Feel wherever these emotions are coming from, write them down, and then you get to ask yourself, what am I going to do today about this? So even if you binge, I want to assure you that you are still allowed to eat. Please don't starve yourself after a binge. Don't work out to excess. You are still allowed to eat. But you, you would maybe write like, today I'm going to drink this many ounces of water. I'm going to go for a light walk and not because these are just examples. These don't have to be your examples. You're not working out to burn off the calories that you overconsumed. You're walking because it feels good to move your body because your body is happy when you move it. So you would say, I'm going to go for a light 30 minute walk. And then I'm going to have a really like vegetable laden, healthy dinner that's going to provide me with the protein, the carbs, the fat, and the vegetables that I need to consume. And then you're going to take immediate action. So you're going to go to the kitchen, you're going to get yourself a huge thing of water and start drinking, or you're going to get up and you're going to go for your walk. And what this does is it actually retrains your brain to have better critical thinking skills, to not be so reactive. And because oftentimes when we're in a binge like state, and I'm giving you binging examples, because that's what I've been through. When you're in a binging state, you are reactive, you are 100% reactive, there is no stopping and trying to sit with what you're feeling. It's a reaction. So what you're doing is you're not only giving yourself the space and the grace to be yourself, but you're also giving yourself the ability, you're making neuro pathways that are going to help your brain create critical thinking skills and actually keep you from letting your emotions spiral you out of control because you're going to have more emotional regulation. And there's a whole other topic on emotional regulation in childhood. And like, you don't even have a fully developed brain until you're about 26 that is able to regulate emotions properly. And this is why we need parents that are willing to help us do it. <laughs> and many of us don't have that or haven't had that. So you kind of have to start to teach yourself how to do it. So I hope that was helpful. Um, the next question I have is how to overcome trauma around food. I feel like this whole podcast might have been a good answer to that just because I kind of experienced and expressed that original trauma point with food, that original 
I was having a fawn response. I wanted acceptance. And from that point, my brain made a connection with food. And I've had to work really diligently to remind myself that food isn't the answer. It's sitting with those emotions, sifting through them and doing the intentional work that has changed it. So I feel like I kind of already covered that. Uh, now we have, can you elaborate on the phrase, you are what you eat? Is this a limiting belief or a rule of thumb? So I would actually say that this is correct. And hear me out. Pretty simple answer. You are what you eat because the food that you consume is what helps your body function. It is what helps your body create new cells. So technically, yes, the food that you eat does become you. So when we look at that, you know, do you want to... it? I feel like this can lead into like toxic eating patterns. I'm trying to be very careful with my words, but this is why fueling our body with nutritionally rich, dense foods is really important because it is what is going to create the functioning parts of our body. So I would say that, yes, you, you are what you eat, but of course this takes time. This isn't like you ate a brownie yesterday and now you have become a brownie. It doesn't really work like that. Your body takes a lot of time to break those things down, create new things, etc. Um, the next question is tips to what to eat vegan, how to get all the nutrients. So the best thing I can tell you to do, get the, get the thug kitchen cookbook. It was the first cookbook I ever purchased when I went plant-based. I ate the best to this day. I still reference this cookbook three plus years later. Um, I'm making something from that cookbook tonight for dinner. It is a fantastic cookbook, all whole foods, plant-based, um, and as far as getting the nutrients, I would encourage you when you are able to, to get a blood panel done with your doctor and see if you are nutrient deficient in anything, because a lot of vegans need a B12 supplement, sometimes a D3. Most people on the planet need a D3 supplement. Most people do not get enough sunlight, um, especially in the winter months. So D3, B12. I know that a lot of people also will eat a Brazil nut. I don't actually know a whole lot about that. It has something to do with like something your body needs to produce. But I would also encourage listening to Pickup Limes is a fantastic YouTube channel. They talk a lot about the nutrition as a vegan and how they do it. Um, there are so many better sources than me. I am not a nutritionist or a dietitian, so I can't really tell you what is specific for your body. It's going to be a lot more beneficial for you to go to a healthcare professional, get a blood panel done and see if you have any nutrient deficiencies. Um, next we have, how did you stop stress eating? So the answer to that is I really haven't, <laughs> I do think there is like, I I definitely feel like I still to this day stress eat sometimes. Um, but the thing is, is I call it what it is. I feel like a lot of us have a lot of shame and we'll try to hide it and pretend that we're not eating or we'll eat when everybody's asleep. And I will call it what it is. I will say it loudly in my house. I'm stressed out and all I want to do is eat right now. And sometimes if I just want a bowl of like vegan macaroni and cheese, I will let myself have it, but I won't make the whole box. I will do like one box and I'll split it with my husband or, you know, I'll still let myself have those, excuse me, those foods that I feel like are helpful sometimes when I feel like I've exhausted all of my other coping mechanisms and I want to reach for something to eat. I still try to keep it in a moderation state. I still try to kind of pull back a little bit. I don't sit down on my couch with a full party size bag of chips. I feel like that is probably one of the worst things I can do. Um, 
Mostly because what happens is we perpetuate a cycle. When we're feeling really stressed out, we, if we're somebody that has a natural inclination to reach for food for that relief, what happens is we'll reach to that food for relief, but then we don't actually get the relief. We might get the dopamine hit, but then the shame and the guilt happens, and then we feel like crap for doing what we did, and then it just continues. Then you feel bad, so you eat more, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can stop yourself in the middle of that cycle, which I kind of mentioned in an earlier question, when you develop that critical thinking skill, um, which does take time, if it's something you're not experienced with, you have to build that in yourself. Because a lot of us, unfortunately, were raised by really toxic parents. And um, we were not given emotional regulation. This is something that I'm currently studying in school and want to possibly make a part of my major is child psychology and child development, because we need emotional regulation as children. We don't, we can't do it. And so if we have parents that don't make the space for us to regulate our emotions, this can lead to a lack of critical thinking skills. This can lead to a lack of emotional regulation and it makes adults more reactive. So I feel like if you are able to let yourself have some of it, if it's chips for you, let yourself have a little bowl of chips and, you know, wop out the journal, wop out the, um, the, the nail polish, the music, go take a bath, try to do other things than just, with the food. And honestly, if all you can think about is the food, write it down. I am a huge advocate of journaling. I have journal entries when I didn't used to have emotional regulation the way I do now, where I would literally draw pictures of food. I have journals where like, there's like plates of nachos and stuff. And I will just write like, I just really want to eat. And I feel like the more we call it out and we don't hide it in shame, the more we expose the truth and we are able to actually work on the things that are behind that. If that, I hope that helps. I feel like that answer was kind of all over the place. Um, and then we also have sometimes in stress, I have anxious eating stems from poverty subconscious from the past, uh, past lives, maybe one of them. So I feel like I can, I kind of mentioned this in the podcast a little bit that like I used to be in poverty. I've talked a lot about that on my channel. Um, and when you're in poverty and that's all you really have is food to turn to, like a bag of chips because it's maybe a couple of dollars, when you don't have a lot, food becomes the source of joy. Or it did for me. For years and years and years, food was my only joy. I used food to celebrate. I used food to feel good at the end of the day. I used – and also um, – in my family, I wasn't really ever praised for much, but I was always praised for cooking. I was always praised for my ability to be a really excellent cook. And I am an excellent cook, but um, I feel like for me, because I got that acceptance and and that um, praise, this is again kind of leading us back to psychology. When we praise our children for certain things, if it's not – this is why I'm very against like praising your kids for being beautiful because – like that just does something to not only other kids if they aren't also getting the same praise, but it does something to that child as well. It's so much better to praise their intellect, the things that they create, what they do. Um, you know, I love how you're handling this situation. I love how you are. Um, I love how you painted this picture. I love how you, you know, there are other things to praise. Um, I am definitely a firm believer that a lot of these things stem from childhood these like problems that we can't figure out where they've come from. Um, it can be past lives as well. 
I'm definitely by no means a past life expert, so I can only give you like the real time information, but I mean, what is time? But in terms of the poverty consciousness, that was my experience was food was my joy because it was cheap and I didn't have money for anything else, but I had money for a bag of chips, a box of pasta, things that when I couldn't afford joy in other means, because I also didn't know how to find the joy inside myself, which is also a whole other topic for another time. Um, I was always looking for it outside of me. And so food was the obvious choice. And even today, I still struggle with this, even not being in poverty anymore. I still struggle with food being the thing. And I'm honestly let down all the time. This is something that I would love to follow up with in the future. Because there are so many times where I'm having such a good day. And I'm like, oh, that's it. Like, this is the fulfillment. This is it. Like, it's not, I've worked really hard all day. And now I'm going to go sit down with a bag of chips and play video games. And that's my joy. It's no, I'm, I'm currently in the joy. I'm currently doing what I love. I'm currently doing things in a way that makes me really happy. And it's weird that in the middle of that joy, sometimes it's a huge blow. It's like, oh, food, food isn't really going to do it. I'm used to cooking a meal later. And that's where all my joy and fulfillment comes from. And it's almost like this huge, like I'm anticipating it at the end of my day, like, oh, yeah, it's going to be food. And then it's not food. So I do feel like there's a lot to unpack there in terms of poverty consciousness and food. I don't know that I'm even the right person to address it. I feel like there is so much in poverty in general that causes a lot of problems, especially in American society. I don't know that I'm the right person to address it, but from my own experience, it's just taken time. I still get let down when I'm thinking about something all day. To this day, I'll think about a meal I'm going to make later. And then again, that midday, I'm like, oh, it's just a meal I'm going to make. It's really not that special. Like it's almost a letdown because that was what I was used to in the past when I didn't have any money and I couldn't afford a lot. That was what I was used to my joy being. So it's almost like you just kind of have to find new ways of finding joy that come from being more internal versus external. And I feel like in terms of anxiety, that's a response. It's a response to a situation in life that we don't like. And it's important to follow that rabbit hole down and see where it's coming from. Again, I believe that this comes from that emotional regulation. And a lot of us didn't receive that. And maybe we aren't even fully there yet. I can attest to this myself. And I don't believe in ageism. Ageism is where we have like older generation, new generation, I know more versus no, I know more because age, I don't believe or support ageism. However, in terms of actual science and brain development, we don't develop the full capacity to emotionally regulate until we are about 26 years old. And so some of you possibly even in these questions aren't there yet. And there's more regulation that will happen. I can tell you from my own personal experience that after about age 26, that was when I felt like I was dealing with a full deck. That was when I felt like I was able to make more of an impact on my mental health. That was when I felt like I was gaining control. And was it a coincidence? Maybe. 
was it that my brain was fully developed? Maybe. Um, just give it time and give yourself the space and the grace to feel what you got to feel. Um, I, I feel like it's not like the best answer, but that's my experience with poverty consciousness. And I hope it was helpful. I hope this podcast reached some of you. I know it's not going to be for everyone. I know that the way that I approach a lot of things isn't going to be for everyone. There are many people that just believe in the Nike symbol and it's like, just get the fuck out there and do it. But I'm not that person. I am the person that says, no, let's get to the root of the problem. Let's actually work on what is causing the issue mentally. And then we can work on creating the new habits. So I hope this was helpful for some of you. I love you all so much. Know that if you're struggling with your body, with body dysmorphia, with binging, with anything on that level, with your own personal health and your relationship with food, the one thing I would want you to take away from this podcast is you're not by yourself. You're not the only person experiencing it. So many of us suffer in shame and in silence. And I am one of those people that I don't think I've ever opened up this authentically about it. I've talked about it a little on my YouTube channel, but not like this. And I love you all so much. Thank you for all of your questions. If you want to be a part of future podcasts, please make sure you follow me on Instagram. That's where I ask for questions periodically about podcasts and, um, I will speak to you all again next Tuesday. I hope you have a, a fantastic 2021 and I'll see you here next Tuesday. Bye. If you felt seen, heard, and understood by today's episode, please remember that this podcast is designed from a YouTube channel. Most, if not all of the episodes are actually audio from sit-down videos of mine on my YouTube channel that I have linked down below. Over there, you will find videos that range from tarot, these sit-down chats, and everything else that I believe will light you up from the inside out. This, my social media handles, and so much more are listed in the show notes below. Please never forget that when you stand up in your own authenticity, you empower everyone around you to do the same. I'll talk to you all next week. Mm -hmm.